Hello and welcome to The Intersection. My name is Mark Riley. Thanks for joining us. This episode looks at the issue of abortion from several different angles, from the leaked Supreme Court ruling and its potential consequences to ways around it, like the abortion pill, to what lawmakers can do to mitigate the decision if the final decision to kill Roe v. Wade actually becomes reality. We'll also look at Texas Governor Greg Abbott's decision to challenge his responsibility to educate the children of undocumented immigrants. Also, we'll look at the spike in COVID cases after the White House Correspondents' Dinner. And finally, we'll take a look at the case of basketball star Brittany Griner currently languishing in a Russian jail. Lot to get through, but first, abortion. I don't know how many years ago it was when I first began to tell people that one of the biggest byproducts of presidential elections is the ability to appoint justices to the United States Supreme Court. I know then and I know now that it's not top of mind when most voters go to the polls. Yet now we know the true consequence of the 2016 election. And what have we got? Not just three conservatives, but people who lied during the confirmation process about upholding settled law, which would be Roe v. Wade. If Roe is overturned, it will be a short-term victory for the religious right. But you know what? They're not done. They're not done by a long shot. While beating back Roe will throw the question of abortion to individual states, that is not their end game. They want to outlaw reproductive choice in all of America, all of it. One way they may try is by trying to confer rights under the 14th Amendment of the U.S. Constitution to a fetus. That's right, the amendment that allowed black people to become citizens in America in the 19th century could be used to give those same rights to the unborn. If that is the case, aborting a fetus anywhere in America, that's right, anywhere in America, could become a crime under federal law. And if they pull that one off, guess what's next? Contraception. Never happened, you say? That's what a lot of people said about Roe. And remember that there was a time in America, a long time in America, when contraception was considered illegal and certainly against religious doctrine. Because you see, that end game, in my humble opinion, wants nothing less, the religious right does, than to remove the power of women to have sex without consequence. Let me explain what I mean. For men, with the obvious exception of rape, sex has been relatively consequence-free. There hasn't been the type of stigma attached to fathering children as there has been to being pregnant out of wedlock. The ugliness of having a child while unmarried was almost always attached to the woman. In most instances, that stigma lasted throughout a woman's life. Women's Liberation and Roe v. Wade changed all that. Suddenly, women could choose to do what they wanted to do with their own bodies. There was the ability in a religious framework to have sex without consequence. Otherwise, why would anybody oppose contraception? which the religious right has done from the minute it became widespread. We must also look at the abortion issue in a larger context. The right wing has been hard at work in this country trying to take rights away from people. That would include voting rights, reproductive rights, obviously, 
LGBTQ rights, and a lot more. While progressive Democrats have conferred these rights, the right now wants to take them away. Make no mistake, they're getting closer and closer. And what are the opposition? Sadly, not that much. The Democrats that could checkmate the Supreme Court seem content to stand idly by and watch all this take place. They cry about not having the votes, about the filibuster, and all manner of we can'ts, while this effort to take America backward keeps going. There's a real possibility that women, far from flocking to the Democrats during the midterms, which most people think they will, they may just stay away, especially young women. Why? Out of disgust with the Democratic Party. That's the worst of all possible outcomes. The absolute worst. Remember, the U.S. Supreme Court is not omnipotent. The High Court passed both the Dred Scott and Plessy versus Ferguson decisions in the 19th century. It took black people almost another century to claw those rights back. And some might argue we still haven't finished. Now, the Democrats seem, and it's just my opinion, they act like a toothless party, a toothless majority party. Let's be clear about that. They did the same when it came to the twin voting rights bills that never got enacted. Even cynics who vote Democratic cannot say that they've done enough, and the best they can hope for is millions of angry women coming out to wreak vengeance on the GOP. And that might not happen. Don't bet the store on this. That, by the way, along with sending out copious emails begging for money. And I, I mean, my inbox is full every day of different Democrats asking for money and warning of the dire consequences if the Congress flips to the Republicans. And, and it is a dire consequence. But the bottom line is the Democrats haven't done anything to earn it. Never mind money. They haven't earned people's trust. They haven't projected a vision for their party and for the country. And they just have kind of acted as though you got to vote Democratic by default. You know, the we're not Trump thing, which Biden got away with, but it's not going to last forever. And it doesn't seem as though they know the meaning of the word or the term play hardball. And all the while, people like Clarence Thomas, of all folks, lament the declining respect for institutions and the rule of law. When he talks about institutions, he's talking about the one he sits on, the United States Supreme Court. He and his right-wing colleagues on the court ought to look at themselves and how they've politicized the court. As I've said before, it's not the first time, but why don't we look at what the end of Roe v. Wade would look like if it applied to men? Imagine for a moment if the following was federal law. A man could only use his penis to urinate or procreate. Any sex that didn't have the expressed intent of having a baby would be a crime. Condoms would be outlawed because contraception prevents childbirth. We all know, at least I hope we all know, how absurd this sounds. Yet I submit taking away a woman's right to choose what to do with her own body is equally absurd. 
Therefore, I believe any and all options in response to this ruling, should it be final, ought to be on the table. That would mean getting rid of the filibuster, which Democrats say they can't do, and if not, adding four new justices to the U.S. Supreme Court. People scream and shout about this. Oh, we can't do this. We can't do this. But it's about time lawmakers and, yes, President Biden show some seriousness in protecting a woman's right to choose. There are two other elements of this abortion brouhaha that are also being scrutinized. First, the leak itself. Chief Justice John Roberts has begun an investigation into who gave the draft opinion to Politico, who, by the way, did a first-class job in reporting this story. As they say in the Bronx, as far as an investigation is concerned, good luck with that. My money would be on them never finding out. For a minute there, the right was far more concerned with the leak than the actual draft decision. There's little doubt the leak has thrown the court itself into turmoil. Some people seem to think the investigation ordered by Justice Roberts will, in fact, uncover the leaker. Maybe. I'm subject to being convinced. But regardless, the damage to an already politicized court has already been done. In allowing Samuel Alito to write a majority opinion that is at best condescending toward women, the court majority showed its true political colors. For those lawmakers who support a ban on abortion, there's still one large impediment. And it is a large impediment. That would be the so-called abortion pill. It's been approved by the Food and Drug Administration since the year 2000. Without getting into how it works, it's been the bane of states that have passed strict anti-abortion laws. They tried to criminalize use of the pill, banning shipments or prescriptions to their states. Yet, where there's a will, there's a way. Women have accessed the pill online from foreign distributors that cannot be touched by American laws. You can expect the use of the pill, which as of 2020 constituted 54% of all U.S. abortions, to skyrocket in states that will use the end of Roe to literally ban all abortions. So for now, the nation is in a state of flux, as the Supreme Court ruling on Roe v. Wade won't be out for a little while. One thing, however, is certain. The leaked draft of the opinion on Roe will reverberate throughout the country for some time to come. Up next, the governor of Texas wants to challenge the law that mandates education for the children of undocumented immigrants. Has Greg Abbott no shame? This is The Intersection. Wherever you are, stay tuned to The Intersection with Mark Riley. Welcome back to The Intersection. We mentioned earlier that politicians, mainly Republicans, want to take away rights. That's right, take away rights and protections that people in this country have fought and died for. It should come as no surprise then that Texas Governor Greg Abbott, a man with neither shame nor a heart, says he wants to challenge the precedent that requires states to educate all children, including the children of undocumented immigrants. The precedent here dates back to 1982, when the Supreme Court, in a 5-4 to decision, 
struck down a Texas law that allowed schools to turn away undocumented children. It's withstood several challenges, but things are different now. The court has a conservative majority, and the potential repeal of Roe v. Wade has emboldened throwbacks like Abbott. He argues the recent surge in migration across the U.S.-Mexico border, that is, or which, by the way, is no longer limited to Mexicans, has made educating these children financially unsustainable. His challenge is really aimed at stopping migration, which he knows good and well is a wedge issue in his and other states. Abbott and his ilk seem not to notice that they're targeting children, innocent children, who, if educated, can contribute much to the nation. But let's step back a bit. What we're seeing now in efforts to take America back to the 1950s is a targeting of many different groups who have gained various rights during the past half century. Blacks find voter suppression and gerrymandering eating away at our political power. The whole notion of grooming children to somehow become gay chips away at same-sex marriage and other rights fought for by LGBTU communities and their allies. I've said before, the end game here is to hold on to political power for as long as possible. Republican politicians believe snatching away rights from the other will keep their political position secure when all else fails, all else being ideas that actually empower people. Good God, even Richard Nixon did some good on civil rights and on the environment. But that was then, better than a half century ago. As the nation becomes blacker, browner, and more of color than at any time during most people's lives, they have now tried to find a way to stem the tide. Reasserting control over women's bodies, stopping migration, legal and otherwise, snatching away gay rights and civil rights is an assertion of political power, pure and simple. Unless someone puts up a fight, a real fight, the progress made over the many years will die a sorry death. Up next, a nasty COVID reminder in the province of the privileged. This is The Intersection. Join the conversation at Mark Riley Media on Facebook. Welcome back to The Intersection. Many countries in the developed world seem to think they've beaten coronavirus, including the good old USA. Even the politically powerful aren't immune from the possibility of catching the virus, however. This has been brought home in the form of two separate dinners for the rich and powerful. Last month, the annual gridiron dinner drew Washington movers and shakers, and of that gathering, 72 people ended up testing positive for corona. They included Agriculture Secretary Tom Vilsack and Attorney General Merrick Garland and New York City Mayor Eric Adams and Commerce Secretary Gina Raimundo. So then along comes the White House Correspondents' Dinner, another gathering of about 2,600 D.C. bigwigs. At its beginning, comedian Trevor Noah admonished the crowd thusly, quote, Did none of you learn anything from the gridiron dinner? nothing? Do you read your own newspapers? End quote. His words turned out to be prophetic. No sooner than the dinner concluded that Secretary of State Antony Blinken 
Several correspondents and staff from the major TV networks, including Chief White House Correspondent for ABC News, Jonathan Carl, all tested positive. These are not people who were ignorant about the virus and its transmissibility. In other words, they should have known better. In fact, several said they thought there was an elevated risk of being infected, and yet the prospect of rubbing shoulders with the elite in the nation's capital was too seductive to pass up. These dinners and other gatherings like them are giant schmooze fests with people looking to make connections and in some cases even signal their desire to move to a new job. For others in this interdependent loop that is the nation's capital, it's about talking to people who can do something for you, who can get your phone calls answered or who themselves can answer your phone calls. It reinforces, these dinners do, that interdependency of the political establishment, the media, and the lobbyists that oil the Beltway machine. How else to explain putting yourself in harm's way where people are in such close proximity to each other? Now, you know what? They say this is just a hiccup. People will hopefully get better and recover, which everybody hopes. When it comes to the Beltway, people will take the risk because not to do so opens the possibility they'll fall off the horse in the DC merry-go-round. That's why they do this. Make no mistake about it. They cannot afford not to keep up, even if it means risking their health. It's sad in a way. And finally, if you haven't heard much about basketball superstar Brittany Griner since her arrest and detention in Russia, there's a reason. Her arrest, coming as it did in the wake of Russia's invasion of Ukraine, caused the U.S. government to ask her supporters to maintain a low profile, lest Vladimir Putin use her as leverage against U.S. sanctions. Brittany Griner faces up to 10 years in prison after Russian authorities supposedly found vapes that allegedly contained hash oil in her luggage. The idea that any country would use a human being as political leverage, quite frankly, makes my skin crawl. That Griner is both black and openly gay make the possibility of her incarceration all the more frightening. Thankfully, after initially maintaining a low profile, the U.S. government has gotten off the dime and there are rumors that Putin is ready to negotiate for her release. As it stands, she hasn't even been charged with anything, and former UN Ambassador Bill Richardson has agreed to work on getting her freed. Let's hope she's back in the States, and very, very soon. Thanks again for listening to this episode of The Intersection. The executive producer of the broadcast is Ms. Kim Jack Riley. Music is by Eric Long. Until we meet again, please stay well.